The following presentation was recorded at the Newbury Buddhist Monastery, Victoria, Australia. Please visit our website at nbm.org.au. So, my name, as uh, announced before by Chintai Sunyo, I think a little bit of an introduction is in order because uh, I think most of you have never, may not have seen me before. Uh, because this is my first time being here in Victoria, first time uh, in Newbury Monastery, and also first time Dhamma talk for uh, the Buddhist Society of Victoria. And yeah, unfortunately, as you all are very aware of right now, you're looking at this uh, on your computer screen and not seeing this live because yeah, we uh, are still in a semi lockdown situation here in uh, Victoria and uh, maybe uh, later on I can come in to the city center but so welcome to all those who usually come to the city center but also welcome to everybody else who is watching these videos now because of course the great thing with the internet is now everybody can uh, tune in and you don't have to live in Melbourne <laughs> and come to the city center to be able to en to enjoy these talks uh, by the monks and nuns. Uh, you can also watch them from anywhere in the world, world probably people from uh, uh, Europe are maybe watching or maybe from America. So to everybody, good morning, good afternoon, good evening or good night, whatever it is to you. Uh, and uh, may you have a lovely, uh, lovely day. So uh, my name, yeah, as I said, is Sunyo. I'm from the Netherlands, where I uh, was uh, born near near the city of Rotterdam, and I lived there uh, my whole youth. I spent in Rotterdam uh, or near Rotterdam, and uh, studied in, in Delft, but still living Rotterdam, traveling uh, to university uh, from Rotterdam. And in, in when I was a younger younger boy, about a baby, about. 16, 17, I uh, had a little bit of trouble uh, with, with falling asleep because I was always thinking so much, thinking all sorts of thoughts about, well, whatever 16 year old boys think of, you know, about, about school and about, uh, about your friends and all, all sorts of, I was just thinking a lot, a lot of unnecessary thoughts, you know, and so I realized I'm, why am I thinking so much? I shouldn't not be thinking so much when I'm trying to uh, fall asleep. Is there anything I can do to think less? And I, I recalled that I, when I was younger, a little, little boy, uh, I had this uh, cool magazine uh, that my parents uh, bought me every month. And it was uh, always about sharks and uh, monster trucks and uh, digging and factories and all that kind of cool stuff that boys love i know i once gave a talk about uh, uh about fuel trucks in uh, primary school that's how interested i was in those kind of things and i at that time i could look at a fuel truck and i look at the number plate and i would know what kind of uh, what kind of chemical it was transporting <laughs> like a gas or uh, some kind of uh, whatever chemicals they they take because you can tell by the by the number plate on the back at least in, in the netherlands anyway you can tell what's in there 
So in case there's an accident, they can know. But anyway, that's how I was interested in those kind of things as a little boy. And uh, But one time in this magazine, there was a little article, not about uh, sharks or dinosaurs or, or, or monster trucks. No, this time was about meditation. It must have been some of the editors or something. Was it was maybe a meditator and thought, let's put this in there in, the, in this little book, in this magazine. I don't know why they did it. And because when I read it, I was uh, not interested at all as a little 12 year old or whatever. But thank that person so much for putting that in there, that about meditation, because I remember reading it very briefly as a 12 year old, but later I recalled it when I was about uh, yeah, 16, 17 year old, I recalled it. And I tried finding it in the magazine back again uh, because I, I kept uh, the whole collection but I could not find the uh, article again. So, uh, but I recall a little bits about it, about meditation and it being about uh, being peaceful and that it, there was a little bit about businessmen doing uh, meditation uh, five minutes a day just to clear their minds. And there was also other things about meditation. So I decided to uh, try a bit of meditation to see if that would help me with uh, falling asleep, uh, with thinking less. So that was my real aim, just to think less, fall asleep easier. So I just started without any instructions whatsoever, just started meditating by myself uh, and didn't really know what I was doing. And uh, it's that's actually a very interesting way to, 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 to learn meditation, just to, to sit and see what you, what you can think of yourself, you know? It's like, uh, uh, yeah, it's like an experiment basically. Because sometimes you get so many teachings these days online, and at that time uh, I didn't have internet yet, and uh, so I didn't have so much teachings. And actually, that's a very, in a way, it's very helpful, uh, helpful way to to approach uh, meditation and the Dhamma, because you can hear so much these days. Yeah, you've got all the, as I said, you've got all these recorded talks. You've got the things on the YouTube and the, there's this Buddhist society and that Buddhist society, this monk, that monk. And you've got all the suttas, all the texts by the Buddha. You cannot get them all now online. And it's so much less effort than it used to be uh, in, in days past. Even be lucky to uh, stumble across a book even. Uh, and uh, if you don't have so much information, it also in a way it's freeing because you don't uh, you don't uh, have all these different ideas in your head about what to do in, in meditation. There's so many different teachers, as I say, and, and so many different instructions. And it, it can be a bit uh, confusing or it can be, if it's not confusing, then at least it, it can create sort of expectations when when uh, teachers give certain instructions and they say, this is what you can do and this is what you can expect. And, you, you, this creates expectations for yourself. And uh, so for me, it was very helpful in the beginning, not have any expectations, not have any instructions at all, and just see what happens basically. But uh, yeah, it, it was it was a useful experience, but I'm happy it didn't last for too long <laughs> because quickly I also realized, okay, maybe I should get some sort of an instruction on uh, meditation if this is going to be of any, uh, uh, long-lasting uh, benefit for me. 
so I, what I did then is a little bit later I I got internet uh, and uh, went on the internet and type I don't know what I type meditation or something a piece or meditation uh, not thinking or whatever um, but one of the first things I found I've, I've found a, one or two things that were about uh, meditation that actually uh, meditation with noting the thoughts and whatever and I thought noting thoughts is just more thinking so I didn't want to do that so I uh, searched a little bit and then I very quickly after a, maybe a first day of searching already I came across uh, Ajahn Brahm is this monk Ajahn Brahm uh, well you will all probably people listening to this will know Ajahn Brahm so Ajahn Brahm is uh, my teacher I ordained under him but when I first saw him uh, on the internet I thought who is this silly man with his silly clothes and the bald head and and even I thought that Buddha statue behind him and looks a bit, a bit, uh, a bit uh, too too auspicious or spiritual I don't know how because I was very atheistic and non non-religious at the time but I just wanted to know how to meditate but he seemed to have this kind of an interesting aura or whatever you know it's something about me attracted him I must admit I was always sort of inspired in a way by monks as a as a young young kid already but uh, yeah so Arjun Brahm uh, although I founded him found him at the beginning a bit uh, too much maybe let's put it that way I was inspired by his meditation teaching because they were uh, uh, very uh, relatable very I, I just thought oh, when I heard them at first I thought this makes sense and uh, this is what I want to uh, practice so his meditation teaching is much about kindness and acceptance and uh, not not thinking too much just being in a present moment and uh, he's not the only one who teaches like that but it's just the one that I happen to stumble upon and yeah well years later you see where it ended up uh, where where I ended up I ended up uh, looking just as funny as him basically <laughs> with the with the robes on sitting in front of a Buddha statue uh, giving meditation talks I was sort of uh, I don't want to compare myself to anybody but uh, sort of doing the same thing in a way so yeah it's, of course there's lots of many years when be uh, between uh, I first um, saw Ajahn Brahm's teachings on the internet and now I, I started meditating maybe when I was 17 and, but it hasn't been uh, something that I always kept up there were like periods that I didn't meditate at all and then I would pick it up again then uh, I would I would get uh, too involved with girls and then I would drop it again <laughs> as a young a young boy you know what it's like and uh, but in the end I always that was the main thing I always picked it back up again and uh, it, it became more and more an important part of my life especially when I was nearing uh, the end of university after I finished my bachelor degrees and I, I had some more time for myself and I still was doing my my master's degree but uh, I lived by myself at that time no longer with my girlfriend so I had more time to meditate more time to invest in the spiritual practice and met more new friends who were also Buddhists uh, they were from uh, this little lovely group from Thich Nhat Hanh 
tradition and we met every week and meditated together uh, and that was just such a lovely time in my life I really look back to that with so much gratitude and this is because this is also really the time that my uh, my meditation started uh, flourishing more and really started to give more uh, the kind of uh, benefits that uh, are beyond just be- being able to sleep better because I fixed that problem very quickly to not not being able to sleep very well uh, with meditation I was just relaxing a bit more and that got solved pretty easily and uh, just have some nice peaceful meditation but later on yeah the meditation becomes much more deeper and much uh, much more powerful and really something uh, so big you can't ignore it. it just becomes the main thing in your life because it's uh, just just uh, yeah just just it's 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 like uh, the main events in your life are come from your meditation. Let me put it that way. And when that happens, then uh, yeah, there's a little uh, little you can escape from uh, becoming a monk or nun. So that's what I did. <laughs> there's not. I was almost say there's almost no choice in the matter anymore. Uh, I like this like this concept that they have in Christianity uh, monks or nuns in Christianity they say sometimes it's a calling from God that they had to become a monk or a nun it wasn't uh, wasn't up to them and it it feels like to that feels like that to me as well not a calling from God but a calling from whatever you would call it the Dhamma or the Buddha or whatever the triple gem just uh, something I couldn't avoid so even maybe if part of me didn't want to become a monk, I had to do it anyway. And uh, that is uh, seven years ago now that I ordained as a monk, six, seven years. This is my sixth uh, range as a monk. So range is like when we take three months long retreat. And uh, before that also I was two years already in Bodhinyana as a novice and as a lay person, Bodhinyana monastery. So it's been a long time now, already uh, fully invested in the uh, spiritual life, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a, in a been a good time, and uh, so. But it's not just about having a good time. That's not what spiritual life is about. So, I want to talk today a little bit about uh, about why we live this life, a uh, spiritual life, either as a monk or a lay person, as a nun or uh, a female lay person. Uh, because uh, when I walked in here uh, for, to give this talk, I asked the venerable here, sometimes I asked, uh, what shall I talk about? Because I didn't have a clue what to talk about. I felt felt very uninspired this morning, I can admit. And uh, I asked, well, what shall I talk about? And she said, talk about nothing. Oh, I said, okay, I'll talk about nothing. That's, uh, that's what Buddhism is all about anyway. Actually, I think she was just, she was sort of hinting at that, like joking, like nothing is like the highest aim in Buddhism. So that is, that is really why we 
meditate really uh, not just as i said not just to be peaceful and uh, and calm and kind which are very important things but the higher purpose of buddhism is to uh, what they call a uh, Attain nibbana. Nibbana means uh, like quenching of a of a flame going out. And what does that mean, really? It's hard to understand. Really hard to understand. Well, intellectually, it is uh, it is understandable, easy enough. But uh, to understand it on a more deeper and spiritual level, that is quite rare, and it's hard for people to uh, understand and even hard to accept on a, on a more basic level because in many many religions they have a goal of uh, the final goal of that religions is to go to heaven or Valhalla or uh, unity with God or what have you even in Hinduism they have got like uh, the being supreme oneness or whatever all these ideas um, all these kind of ex experiences that you can have if you uh, complete a certain complete a certain religion if you live your life as a perfect christian you will end up with god if you live your life as a perfect uh, muslim you'll end up in uh, the Valhalla is that is that the uh, Muslim thing? I think so. And if you have a perfect Hindu, you're this oneness with the universe or the supreme self or whatever. But in Buddhism, what do you get for all your trouble, all your strife, all your hard meditation, your hard work, your ordination as a monk or a nun, or uh, all your dana as a lay per person or all your trouble in the spiritual life what do you get nothing at all nothing nothing at all and that is just so amazing then you, re you read here the metta sutta i just have it here actually printed out i don't really need the print but you know it says the last line that means being freed from sense desire you're not born again in the in the world is that is going to heaven but that is not the final goal of the of the sutta of or sorry of the buddhism yeah so this metta sutta is still limited in that aspect that it only brings you to uh, to be reborn in heaven but the goal eventually of buddhism is to not be reborn at all to end the whole process of being uh, reborn again and again having then this life then that life some lives may be very nice like some lives you may end up being very healthy and maybe uh, being very prosperous and happy other lives not so so well maybe uh, but in the end the best thing is not to aim for the good lives but to uh, end the whole journey altogether the journey through samsara and then you end up with just uh, yeah fading away, extinguishment, uh, cessation of experience. Really, there's no experience left at all. This is what the Buddha kept talking about. You read the suttas, and the word for cessation is 
always there. It's so enormously common in Neroda is the word. So the Buddha always talks about cessation, cessation of of life, bhava Neroda, cessation of existence, is uh, the final aim of Buddhism, and that is. Uh, uh, is it is is a very peaceful aim in the end because uh, because when i was younger and i reflected on all these religions and their their goals and uh, as i just told you about when i first got into buddhism it was just the meditation that i was interested in and i didn't want to know anything of this all this uh, more religious kind of stuff i wasn't interested at all because I was so non-religious myself and very atheistic, and uh, thought I thought science knew it all. Yeah. At at the time, that's what I thought. Uh, so I didn't want to know anything about this. But later, when I listened to more talks about uh, meditation by Ajahn Brahm and other other monks, then they also drop in some more deeper spiritual stuff from time to time as well. So I got slowly more interested in that as well. So I started thinking about this, about the goals of different religions. And even some of these religions have ideas of eternal conscious mind or whatever uh, in Hinduism this exists. And, and I thought of that. That would be, uh, what would it be like? Eternal consciousness mind. I think, I don't know about other people, but I think I would get pretty bored pretty quickly <laughs> with being eternal conscious in mind. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course, but it, it the, the basic idea didn't make much sense to me. But then, one day, I read the Four Noble Truths by the Buddha. The first, I remember still the first time I read the Four Noble Truths on some sort of obscure website. I tried finding it again couldn't find it but uh, this must have been a really uh, well translated website because I got the the gist of it straight away at least on an intellectual level about the four noble truths about the first noble truth life existence being suffering not just life as a human being but life in any realm being suffering yeah? even the life of some sort of super conscious uh, being if that whatever that might be would in the end be suffering would not be satisfying it would be it couldn't last nothing can last and therefore nothing is ultimately satisfying that's the first noble truth the second noble truth that we get reborn in all these lives because we want to basically the craving for existence is the cause of suffering and that can't recall the Pali exactly but the craving that leads to uh, to to rebirth that is the cause of suffering and the third noble truth if you don't have that craving you don't get reborn and then suffering will end and then the fourth noble truth about the, the practice the path of practice and it just made sense to me that in a weird way this is such a weird goal of a religion I thought, always thought before I ever saw this I thought all these religions they make up uh, make up 
all these things about afterlife and rebirth uh, just to uh, make the uh, followers feel a bit better you know uh, just so they are not afraid to die that's what I thought as a foolish young man I thought of Buddhists they just make up rebirth so that when their loved ones die or when they are about to die they're not so afraid you know they think oh there'll be uh, an afterlife so it's just it's just comforting to them uh, the idea of rebirth that's what I thought but you then you hear these noble truths and then you realize that what the Buddha was saying is the actually exact opposite. Rebirth is not the comforting. Rebirth is the problem. And then when I read that, and then the, then the third noble truth, that the ending of rebirth, so the ending of existence, that that is what the Buddha's goal is, I remember laughing out loud like, this is really something else this is not comparable to any other religion really like all, all the other religions they aim for some more higher uh, state of st yeah state of existence really whether it be, be in heaven or uh, a union with the universe or whatever it's always some higher state of existence the super consciousness the supreme self whatever they have but in buddhism it's not about creating a higher state of existence. It's about ending all existence. And when I first, I, I've got a smile on my face right now recalling when I first read it, I thought it was, <laughs> I still didn't believe in rebirth, but I thought at least at the time, uh, I didn't believe in rebirth, but I thought at least intellectually that is a really nice concept, you know, with the uh, rebirth being uh, the process of suffering and then the, the goal is not just to create better experience but to end it and I really appreciated that uh, uh, intellectually at that point and later I came to appreciate it much more uh, on a deeper level as well which is of course uh, made obvious by the fact that I am now in robes and have really dedicated my life to these uh, to these noble truths and then my life I dedicate my life to uh, the pursuit of ending uh, life. <laughs> so it's a weird thing, but it's it's cool, isn't it? It's cool that uh, yeah, to to not live your life to attain more more things, to attain more bliss states, but instead to uh, live your life to get nothing out of it to get to end up with zilch zero nada that uh, I, I i just like that idea there's this there's this famous no not famous my favorite fairy tale that i have ever read it's by uh the brothers Grimm who wrote all these other fairy tales also about uh uh, Little Red Riding Hood and all these others very famous ones they they wrote them down I don't think they made them all up but there is this much less famous one which is just so funny and it's called uh, Happy Hans or sometimes Lucky Hans I think also translated and this is the story of Happy Hans 
Happy Hans was a very hard worker. He worked for a farmer for seven years, plowing the fields, sowing the seeds, and and then gathering the crops, and then again plowing the fields, sowing the seeds, gathering the crops, plowing the fields, sowing the seeds, gathering the crops. For seven years he did that, working so hard. And at the end of seven years, he went to his to his boss, the farmer, and said, "I think I will retire from work and go home to visit my mother. Please, can you give me whatever I deserve for this hard work?" And the and the and the farmer said, "Well, Hans, you've been working very hard for me." So here is a big lump of gold for you to carry and bring to your mother. And he brought this huge lump of gold as big as a head, as big as Hans's head. And Hans took it under his arm and set off walking on the journey home to his mother. And he was walking on the road with this big lump of gold. But of course, very quickly, he got really tired. This huge lump of gold was just weighing him down. It wasn't doing him any good whatsoever. Just making him more exhausted. So then one day Hans came across another man on the road. And this man had a horse. And Hans thought for a moment, I said, I thought I could use a horse. That would make my travel so much more easy. I can just sit on the back of the horse. And uh, it will ride me. And I don't have to walk so much with this big lump of gold. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. So Hans went up to the man and asked. Can I buy that horse for from you? For this lump of gold. And the man agreed. And Hans bought the horse for a lump of gold. And he was traveling along the road with this horse much more easy than with a lump of gold under his arm but the horse was a bad horse and he was always trying to throw Hans off his back and it was biting him and kicking him when Hans wasn't looking and Hans got a lot of scrapes and pains because of that horse and then Hans thought ah this horse not so uh, I don't have to carry it around under my arm like a lump of gold but it's still no good it's giving me much more trouble than I wish for and then one day Hans walking along the, on the road on the back of his horse came across this lady who was walking a cow across the road and Hans thought Ah, maybe I can get rid of this horse and get a cow. A cow is much better than a horse. A cow, they don't throw you off their back. They are much more gentle. They don't bite or kick. And what I can get some milk from the cow, yeah. And then I have something to drink as well because I'm getting really quite thirsty here traveling on the road. And uh, so the, 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 Hans went to the to the lady and asked, "Can I can I maybe trade a cow for a horse?" And of course, you know, a horse is much more expensive than a cow generally. So yeah, the lady 
happily agreed and, and gave the cow to Hans. And Hans walking across the road with the cow happy, but soon he found out that the cow was actually dry, didn't give any milk at all, and was always slowing him down because the kid didn't walk fast, always needed a place with grass for the night to have something to eat. And the cow was much more trouble than it's worth for Hans. Didn't bring him any good. And Hans very sad about the cow now. Wow, now I don't get anything out of this. I'm just dragging it along. Then he came across a man with a pig. Uh, you know, the story can continue forever. <laughs> Which is the sort of the moral. Yeah? It's like samsara continues forever. Yeah, It's always so. You think of something better, better, better. It's just like Hans. He came across, across a man with a pig. And he said, how oh, can I not get that pig from you in trade for this cow? And then I have a pig I can, uh, it doesn't need, need to uh, uh, stop for uh, grass every time because a pig can just eat whatever I give it, it eats, eats anything. And then uh, when I get hungry, maybe I can kill this pig and I have some bacon. Well, he, he was not a, not a very good Buddhist, Hans, I don't think, because uh, we don't kill animals, I don't eat meat or dairy anyway myself but uh, Hans uh, this is how the story goes yeah so <laughs> Hans decided to uh, kill the uh, kill the pig whenever he got the chance and just have some bacon but before he had the chance there came another person and he said oh I see you walking around with a pig but in the next village there is a story that somebody stole a pig so if you go into that village, they will surely arrest you. So quickly get rid of that pig. And you know what? You can change it for this goose that I have. And the goose will give you some eggs that you can sell or eat. And uh, you can also get the feathers and make it into a nice soft pillow. Yeah? And Hans thought, ah, a nice soft pillow is much better than... Uh, all this other stuff I've been doing. Uh, okay, I'll get the goose. And uh, he had the goose instead of the pig now. And then he walked into the village. And there he saw a man with a grindstone and a grinding scissors and, and knives. And he asked the man, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm grinding knives and scissors for a living. I just have this stone, a simple stone, and I grind scissors and knives and uh, people give me money for it and that's how I make a living it's very nice and easy wow thought Hans that's that's that looks very nice and simple and he asked the man can you get me maybe one uh, grindstone as well and I'll change it for this for this goose and the man said sure I can but he didn't actually have another grindstone so he just went somewhere and took a fake stone coarse stone and gave to Hans in, in exchange for the goose and the stone was as large as Hans's head and very heavy to carry <laughs> and but Hans changed it for the goose and he thought ah this is so nice just having this grindstone it's all I really need and uh, now I can live a simple life just grinding people's scissors and people's knives and make a living out of that so he 
decided, he was very getting close to home, close to his mother, decided to spend one more night near the river. And he put up his stone next to him near the river and decided to get something to drink from the river. But when he did so, he bumped the stone and the stone fell and plump in the river and down the stone went. And Hans had nothing, nothing left. He thought, seven years I worked and then I got a big lump of gold for it. For that I got a horse and for the horse I got a cow. For the cow, a pig and a pig, a goose. And for the goose all I got was this stone and for the stone all I got was nothing. But I've never been so happy in my life, thought Hans, because now I don't have to carry around anything heavy. I don't have to take care of these this animals that bite me and kick me and don't give me anything good. Now I have nothing and now I am truly happy Hans. So Hans went to his mother and was very happy after with having nothing to show for all his hard work. That is the end of the story. And isn't that such a such a lovely story that Hans goes through all his hard work, seven years of hard labor, and then through experience he finds that the best payment he could have gotten for all his hard labor was actually actually just to have nothing. Have 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 zero because if you're happy with nothing then whatever life gives you it's it's okay and this is the uh, purpose of Buddhism is to uh, we do all this eightfold path it's like hard work in a way yeah, it's not always easy the Buddhist path and the meditation can sometimes be hard. Renouncing things can be hard. Following the precepts. Uh, not always easy. So in a sense it's hard work. The Eightfold Path. Uh, people coming to the monastery. Supporting the monks and nuns. Not easy. Very hard. The monks and nuns doing their practice. Living their life. Uh, of lots of solitude. Yeah, we are now sort of uh, Victoria's in a is in a semi-lockdown uh, quarantine, but the monks and nuns we are also in a in a lockdown in of a sense a self-induced lockdown quarantine because we are now the three months range retreat, which is three months that we don't travel anywhere and we stay have we have this uh, commitment to stay same place three months and spend a lot of time by ourselves just have the one meal a day is what I do and uh, spend a lot of time in my hut and and not uh, getting too involved in work or uh, conversations and this is also something not always easy to do usually it comes very easily for me actually solitude I really love it and uh, 
uh, it also sounds oh not doing much work is that is actually easy but sometimes actually it's 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 the opposite you get sometimes so much free time or so much time to meditate that you actually want to do something you want to want to uh, work more i haven't reached that point yet because the rains has just begun <laughs> but from my experience from previous rains in bodhiana monastery i don't know how it's going to go here is that it's uh at some rains at some point i get quite restless actually and then you find out it's actually quite hard to to spend three months uh yeah, doing nothing and uh, three months it, it is uh, it's nice it's also a commitment not always easy and just like Hans had to do a lot of hard work which was not always easy but in the end he got nothing for it <laughs> this is also in Buddhism uh, you get nothing it really the highest goal is to get nothing you get a lot of happiness in between uh, in between uh, before you get uh, to the end, as uh, the Buddha said, that uh, is, uh, yeah, teachings uh, good in the beginning, good in the middle, and good in the end. So in the middle is when you get the most of the, all the happiness at the beginning, and in the end it's good because you realize the highest happiness. Just like Hans realized that the best way to travel is to just carry nothing around, then in the end. In Buddhism, you also realize that the easiest way to uh, easiest way to 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 well to be is what I was gonna say, uh, but you don't, not even being in the end is but to for the, for life to cease. Uh, and this sounds intellectually maybe uh, abstract or uh, yeah uninspiring, but. This is when the practice of meditation comes in and shows you the the path and shows you that this is the truth. And how can you how can you do this? Because it's all nice and all that that there is this monk here talking to you and laughing about nothingness and how he enjoys it. But how can you yourself uh, realize the truth of these teachings and not just to rely on on me or whoever else is going to, to uh, teach you about this and the truth to realize it by yourself is through meditation in meditation uh, I love this quote by Ajahn Chah which Ajahn Ram often repeats which says don't meditate to get things meditate to get rid of things so when you meditate, don't try to achieve any sort of states of bliss or mindfulness or whatever people tell about. Meditate instead to get rid of things, to reduce your sense of ownership, your sense of self, your sense of being. And when your meditation becomes more peaceful, you might realize it becomes more peaceful because things are starting to disappear things are starting to cease i started meditating to get the thoughts the thinking process to cease and that was actually i was quite successful at that but i didn't realize at the time that's actually still quite superficial 
that when the thinking ceases, it's sort of step one, you could say, of the meditation process. And uh, I don't think of it too much in terms of steps or stages because it just creates also ideas and goals again. But uh, there's a gradual process of things ceasing. Generally goes like that, that thoughts cease first and then your other senses start to cease. You, you, your hearing starts to disappear slowly and you become more centered inside of yourself. And your body starts to fade away as well. You don't really notice anymore that you've got a body. You're just sitting there being aware of your meditation object. Maybe your breath or whatever else, your metta or just the silence. And then uh, even those experiences start to become more simple and disappear. The breath itself starts off quite coarse like in out in out but slowly it starts to simplify and even at some point you can't tell really anymore is this in or out and you even forget that it is breathing you're just aware of this feeling it starts to also simplify and disappear change into his more subtle mental experience of the breath at first the breath is more like a physical sensation but it starts to shift and uh, become this mental uh, reflection of the breath i think uh, i think it's called chitta sankara in the suttas in the, in the anapanasati sutta this is when the breath becomes much more subtle and a bit more like a mental mental image so then the whole body starts to disappear and you're just with the mind. And then the mind, you still have this sense of being able to control what goes on inside of your mind. You, you have the idea that if you want to stop meditating at any point, you can stop whenever you want. And, this, and uh, you still got the idea that if you wanted to think, you could think if you want. This is this illusion of, illusion of will. And also starts to disappear and when that starts to disappear and your mind goes inside then uh, that's when things really become hard to describe and uh, words don't really reflect uh, what goes on but whenever you have an experience like that always reflect upon what has ceased what has disappeared when your meditation goes really deep and you come out and you ask yourself what has disappeared this is also what the buddha also in the anapanasati sutta for those familiar with that the sutta on the mindfulness of the breath and there is uh, at the end of the instructions there's, there's a set of instructions where the buddha uh, instructs us to reflect upon cessation reflect upon uh, what has faded away on vanishing that is what the Buddha asks us to reflect upon and then you will find that what has faded away your sense of self you have faded away the the the, the whole ownership has faded away the the the, the 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 core of your being has 
vanished for a moment if your meditation gets really really deep the whatever you thought you always thought you were that has disappeared and there was nothing really solid inside anymore no essence the buddha compared it to like a water bubble it seems like something but inside it's just empty and hollow and uh, there's nothing there it's it's is there's nothing that's what this talk is about nothing inside of a water bubble and the same with inside of you when you go deep in meditation you'll realize there's nothing there it's that's my name is sunyo means empty because i took that because i'm so inspired by this concept that's why i had that name emptiness inside and when you realize from a meditation like real deep that there is no solid core inside no no essence no self inside then you realize there's nothing you need to hold on to and that is just such a relief nothing that you need to take care of nothing you need to protect nothing that needs saving nothing that yeah nothing uh, you need to worry about because there's nothing inside of you anyway you realize that and you're really willing to let go more deeply then you also realize that just the awareness itself has no solidity to it and awareness itself is just a process and just a part of nature and nothing that will last forever it's, it, awareness is not something that uh, can exist forever unity with God or as the, the the permanent consciousness or whatever you realize this is all impossible because there is no core inside of awareness it's just an empty phenomena uh, process and then you if you're like that you realize just like Hans how happy it is to be able to give up on all of that stuff yeah other people they struggle for a lump of gold but you are much more wiser and you just uh, go for nothing go for broke <laughs> that is what my uh, advice is to you and this is all very deep maybe uh, and for my first Dhamma talk here for the PSV maybe you thought I should have started something less deep but anyway I was asked to talk about nothing so that's what he got nothing and uh, I hope this is inspiring to some of you and if not uh, maybe uh, uh, focus also on other Buddhist ideas yeah it's not all about nothing yeah it's also a lot about uh, kindness and love and generosity and making the world a better place and all these lovely concepts as well so if you feel like the, the idea of nothing is a bit too challenging for you then uh, maybe it's not the right time yet and then just focus on all these other lovely ideas that we have in Buddhism and uh, brighten up your mind through those and then maybe one day you're ready and you reflect upon the concept of emptiness and nothingness again and maybe then you'll find it more inspiring yeah, it's no use to think about these things when it's not inspiring to you then, uh, then it's not the right time but uh, anyway I hope it was useful to at least to some of you and uh, I think I'll leave it at that and then uh, 
Oh, then uh, there uh, should be maybe some questions. There's still some time for questions as well. Thank you, Venable, for the inspiring talk on nothing. <laughs> you, you, you asked for it. Yes, I did. Thank you. Um, okay, we do have two questions so far. May I ask um, the first one? Bunte, you told us about how you felt when you first connected and realized the profoundness of the Four Noble Truths. What did you feel when you first read of the Bahia Sutta? That's from Udana 1.10. Yeah, well, I'm, I wouldn't say I rec recognized the full profoundness of the Four Noble Truths the, the first time I read them. I just... Uh, realized them on, a, on an intellectual level I, re, I realized how different they were from other religions and that it was quite uh, unique and in, I could really appreciate appreciate the Four Noble Truth other religions I always had a, this idea they were mainly just comforting people or uh, yeah I, I talked about that before but uh, Buddhism I thought was unique and had this uh, really challenging concept really challenging goal as well and i and that's i really yeah i really uh, could uh, see something in, in that at least on intellectual level and something uh, i could appreciate about that the bahia sutta i when i first read that was many many years later because uh, that is i when i first read the four noble truths i, I said as i said i in I appreciated it on an intellectual level, but I still wasn't really interested in uh, really deeper Buddhism or what I was just reading a little bit about what it was all about. But uh, my deeper interest became uh, came much later, and that's when I started reading the suttas. And the Bahia Sutta, yeah, I really uh, like it. I did not have the same kind of... Uh, initial uh, reaction to it like oh, this is uh, something different because I already was introduced to the concept of already before uh, in the suttas you, there's so many suttas there's thousands of suttas literally and if you put all the books together they are well you you'll be like uh, you'll be like Hans trying to carry it all that's how many suttas is is more than just uh, one lump of gold but and there's so many but the concepts in them are all repeated every time so if you read for example the, the sutta on uh, non-self the Anatalakana sutta this is the second sermon by the Buddha then that is in essence is nothing different from the the Bahia sutta the Bahia sutta is some is uh, yeah has some uh, I feel sometimes has this elevated status above other suttas in a sense. People seem to uh, be drawn to it more because the story goes that this Bahia got enlightened really, really quickly after hearing this uh, his story. Like, uh, what was what was the exact instructions again? Like, uh, then. So the Bahia walked up to the Buddha and said, oh, give me a very short teaching, I don't have too much time. In the scene will be merrily, the scene in the yeah, hurt yeah, will yeah, be merrily, the hurt in the thought will be merrily, the thought in the known will be merrily, the known. Yes, yes, so yeah, in the uh, 
seeing just the seeing and the hurt just the hurt and the, what you think just the thinking and in the whatever you're conscious just the conscious uh basically means in the scene just the scene means no seer just the scene so as i said no no sense no essence inside it's just a process i've used the word process before a natural process in the herd it's just the herd the hearing the sense of hearing is just a process it's just part of nature and there is no hearer no like soul inside no no being inside that receives the sounds or the sights or that in the thought just the thought you think you are the thinker of your thoughts that's what it feels like like you do your thoughts sometimes you meditate and you step back from doing the thinking but you feel still like you are receiving the thoughts as if they come to you but both are illusions yeah both doing your thoughts and receiving the thoughts if you think about thinking like that they are both uh delusions both wrong perceptions because there is neither a doer nor an experiencer of the thoughts both of these things are the mind makes up as illusions there's many meditation teachings i know throughout the world and there are many of them they stop and have as their highest goal something that is still very superficial in reality in buddhist sense so many meditation teachers they teach you about thinking uh, about not being the the actor of your thoughts but instead stepping back and just letting the thoughts be and just being at the receiving end of the thoughts and being there as the awareness behind the thoughts and this is a very good and very nice teaching but it stops at uh way too quickly i mean it it doesn't go deep enough because even just being the receiver of the thoughts the one who is aware of the thoughts if you think that's what you are then that is also wrong so this is why the buddha said to bahia in the thought just the the thought no thinker or no receiver of the thinking there's just thoughts that's all then the last one which is the uh and this is the deepest one vinyayate vinyayatang bhavisati or something like that I'm, i'm trying to recall the pali because it inspires me personally but um, forget about the pali the idea is in consciousness in in what is conscious of is just the conscious what just the consciousness no no self inside that is conscious no no permanent chitta or no a true being inside that is conscious it's just consciousness that sound consciousness is just a process that is uh, just like just like the wind sometimes it's the wind blows and sometimes not but the wind does it have an core inside of it does it have an essence inside of it no the wind is just an empty it's it the wind exists all right 
but it's not there's nothing you can show here this is wind yeah this 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 is the essence of wind no wind is just a name we give to to a process of that is that comes and goes really which has no fundamental entity to it and this is the same with our whole experience our whole life of consciousness it's also empty inside so yeah that is what the bahia sutta tells us and and yeah at times that has really inspired me and uh, i i can't remember why i can't just uh, chant the pali straight off my head because i've seen it so often read it so often but when you give a talk and you're already in a certain mindset and sometimes difficult to bring up these things that uh on the spot but uh it has inspired me a lot uh, so it's also a very useful sutta to uh, reflect upon but uh yeah if it if it's helpful to you then use it if it's not helpful then as i said there's many other suttas that which tell you as essentially the same thing and uh, uh, Buddha's teachings are uh, not they don't require lots of knowledge of suttas you just need to know a little bit and then that can be enough already which is exactly the point also in Made in the Bahia Sutta this person just gets very short teaching and then the story goes that he then um, becomes enlightened just based on four sentences by the Buddha basically well a little bit more than four yeah it continues on Uh, in the scene the scene the heard the heard the thought the thought consciousness consciousness and if if you if you see things like that like that empty process then you won't be there you won't be there you won't be there. That's what the Buddha said. or something like that. You won't. You won't be there. And if you're not there, uh, skip a few steps. Then in the end, there is no here or there or in between. What does that mean? No here or there in between when you're not there. It all sounds very, very vague. But it's vague because it's a very short teaching. It's a summary, and it means you are not there if you see that there is no essence inside of you uh, which uh, my whole talk has been about if you see there is nothing inside you are not there then you are not here not there or in between what does that mean it means first of all you don't identify with this life and also there won't be a next life because you realize it's just an empty process so why would you keep maintaining an empty process? You realize, just like Hans, that it's much more peaceful to end up with nothing. And so then there is no craving for any other experiences or any other state of being. And then when the craving goes, as it says in the Third Noble Truth, there's no more no more fuel for a rebirth, no more driving rebirth. So you won't be there in the next life either you won't be in between means you won't be in between this life and the next either of course if you don't have a next life then there won't also won't be an in between this and the next life so uh, this buddha very short summary 
telling you how to end rebirth by not identifying with things. And it's very nice that you bring up that sutta because I realized what the Buddha said so well in just those couple phrases. It's what I have been struggling and striving to sort of explain you in very clumsy ways uh, in an hour. And I realized I haven't done half as good a job as the Buddha, uh, not nearly even close. But uh, so it's nice that yeah, you bring up that sutta. That uh, but it does sort of, in a way, confirm that exactly what I've been saying. Uh, well, I don't need confirmation from the sutta, but it's always nice when they uh, when people bring up a sutta that does not contradict what you've just been saying. <laughs> that would have been funny. <laughs> but so yeah, thank you. If there's any other questions, then. Uh, Yes, you. Um, there are three more questions on the three list. Three more? Okay, I have to be a bit quicker. Okay. Yes. Let's go. Okay, this question is, <laughs> I think, is a little bit personal. Bodhiana or Newbury, what do most monks prefer and why? Wherever you are is the best. And I always say, when I close my eyes, it's all the same. I spent the time in various monasteries, this one, both in Jana and others in the Netherlands and uh, in Australia. But uh, whenever I close my eyes, they're all the same. So. Thank you. This question, the next question, I personally want to ask the same question too. What made you interested on mastering Pali? <laughs> well, I wouldn't say mastering Pali. <laughs> I'm far from mastered it. I just... just so how I struggled just re recalling the Bahia Sutta, but uh, yeah, Pali. So Pali is the language of the Buddha's teachings. And why would you do an interest in Pali? There's English as well. I've got here the Metta Sutta. I just chanted it in Pali, but uh, we also got the English version. Yeah, this is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness for those who know it. So why would you learn Pali? I thought the same. Uh, I thought, why would you learn Pali? I will just stick to the English. When I came to Bodhiyana Monastery, I never really was very good at languages in high school. I uh, always sort of struggled to to get get uh, possible grades. Um, English was okay, but we also uh, obligatory had French and German. I also did Latin. I was always very bad at it, so I thought. I'm not going to study Pali. And also I came to a monastery not to study and stuff. I came to uh, uh, just meditate. Then uh, when I remember one morning during after breakfast, Ajahn Brahm, I was washing my bowl or, some, or something. Ajahn Brahm just said something about Pali being good to, good to study Pali and uh, how it helped him personally with his practice and then uh, I sort of decided okay I'll do it then I'll, I'll, I'll study Pali and at the time Ajahn Brahmali was teaching Pali Bodhiyana Monastery and uh, although initially I didn't want to go to his classes then I decided okay if Ajahn Brahm said it was helpful for him I'll just go and see what's up and I realized actually not that difficult Pali I mean, yeah, learning another language is not easy, but it, it could have been worse, let me put it that way. And uh, uh, yeah, I started quickly realizing 
it is actually uh, helpful for me personally to to learn Pali because for example when I have heard a Metta Sutta and uh, I could if I could just do the English yeah uh, let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove but it's inspiring yeah don't not do the slightest thing that the wise would reprove but when I read it in the in the Pali and I know the meaning of the Pali and I realize that this is what the Buddha said himself he, maybe the words the accent I don't get right yeah maybe slightly different we don't really know 100% how the Buddha sounded like because it's so long time ago but I you get these texts and you know it's from the Buddha it's so much more inspiring to me a translation is always just a translation and uh, they can also be wrong and this for example this this actually has a slight mistake in it, this very sentence itself actually which is funny it's just let let them not do the wise thing that the wise would later reprove would i think the meaning is actually let them not do the slightest thing that others who are wise would reprove anyway so that's also a thing about pali when you read pali you can uh, see uh, mistakes in translations as well and then sometimes actually very significant things uh, sometimes mistakes in translations can uh, yeah really change the meaning of a whole whole sutta in this sense this, this case it doesn't really matter either way but uh, sometimes it does and uh, yeah then it just uh, I kept doing the Pali it, uh, because of those reasons and uh, now yeah for those who don't know I've been teaching the Pali in Bodhinyana monastery for the since I was a novice actually already and uh, six five six years and it still inspires me to this day to to read the Pali uh, yeah. so if you have the time and the capability to do it it's worth it but uh, and then again you don't really need it because in the end all the insights don't come from reading suttas but they come from the meditation so as many monks who, who don't study Pali at all and they're not any less of a monk because of that because they just decided differently instead of spending time to study Pali they decide to spend more time on other aspects of, of the path of their practice which is fine as well so to each their own yeah thank you the next well okay now we have around 10 minutes and there are two questions okay okay five minutes each yep or less this question is about sleep if wake up in the middle of the night with anxiousness what do we do ah yeah so that's exactly what i used to struggle with as a lay person uh the sleepiness sleeplessness because of anxiety and too much thinking and uh, what do you do well i found out that at the moment when you are already anxious in bed and sort of thinking a lot it's uh you can do meditation techniques like scanning your body for example but it's much more fruitful to have a general meditation practice in your life not not just not just start working on the problem whenever it 
puts his head up like don't start working on your anxiety and your thinking uh, at the moment it is when you're lying in bed in the middle of night but already be generally prepared by having a daily practice of meditation when I was younger I used to uh, have this little corner in my in my room uh, and do a little bit of meditation maybe not even every day back then but just from now and then just sit sit down and just relax and uh, just be there and just enjoy the present moment and just focus on your breathing and don't try and achieve anything all those great meditation teachings just apply them and uh, then you just be generally more uh, relaxed generally be more happy and then it will also be easier to uh, fall asleep as well uh, because of that you're being already generally more at ease that would be my main advice but uh, if you do meditate daily and still end up uh, being anxious in bed then also um, maybe it bit more physical activity throughout the day is helpful for falling asleep and also if you do lie in bed you can do uh, beforehand metta meditation is what the buddha advised so yeah i won't give you whole instructions on metta meditation right now because we'll i'll end up missing lunch <laughs> this is not the most important thing but also other people are also waiting and uh, one also want lunch so yeah, but look up metta and meditation on the internet and try that before you go to sleep. The Buddha said it gives you nice sleep and nice dreams. And I find uh, it's true. So try that as well. Thank you. Okay, um, there's one last minute question just came in, but I'm not sure if we'll have time to answer that. One, but one according to the time, repeat. I'll ask the question earlier first. Why does one want recognition and acknowledgement for hard work? For me, I want that to get more money for my kids. Where does the desire to be more and do more come from? I'm not sure if I 100% get the question. Uh, the desire to do more in work? Why you want to do more? work i don't know why you want to do more work uh yeah that's something you really have to uh answer for yourself i suppose uh yeah you want to do more work maybe uh you get a sense of uh sense of achievement out of it i've been talking this whole talk about achieving nothing and uh yeah one of the challenging thing about being a monk uh is that you don't get any achievements you don't get any uh, diplomas or uh, n no uh, what do you call it no bonus at the end of the year or uh, no uh, what do they call it when you move up in the job no raise yeah nothing like that so no achievements uh, and it can be challenging because it's we get a sense of happiness out of achieving things and doing things but you have to look for a different kind of happiness happiness of the opposite of letting go of things as Ajahn Chah said meditate to let go of things not to not to not to get things 
um, but you can say not just meditation but your whole life can focus on that as a buddhist live life not to achieve things but to let go of things so let go of working uh, too much as well you need always need to do some of course but if it gets excessive then uh, just reflect am i doing this uh, for my long-term happiness or is it just a short-term uh, sense of achievement which is uh, always very unsatisfying in the end yeah? the sense of achievement you just have it for a little bit but uh, then it quickly fades away and it's much more sustainable to focus instead on long-term happiness of spending more time with your family or spending more time spiritual practice instead of just working all the time I hope that hope that answers your question. I must admit I didn't fully understand what you were asking. So, thank you. This is the last question. May I ask if nothingness relates to see or hear things as they are? Yes, it definitely does. Because when you see things as they really are, which is the the inside uh, that really sets up the Buddhist path, the inside of uh, of uh, stream entries so that is when you see things as they really are that's when you see things as really empty uh, that's when you see f that there is no this uh, there is no core inside of you that will live on forever there is uh, just empty processes empty nature natural processes that uh, do their own thing regardless of uh, quote you inside yeah when you are not there that's when suffering ends i just got a very very last minute <laughs> this is really the final question okay? okay because it's related and that's why i i yeah, think yeah. uh we have time to answer if you no want to achieve nothing why do monks study ah well the real <laughs> the real thing is that you don't want to achieve nothing you get it anyway yeah. So it's you stop the wanting. So it's not about desire, as I said before. Even me deci deciding to become a monk, it feels like it's not really. It wasn't really up to me. I just had to do it. And the same with this practice of the Buddhist path. Once you reach a certain point, it's not about you wanting to practice or not wanting to practice. It's not about you wanting nothing or not wanting nothing. It happens anyway. And so. Therefore, uh, you want to study Pali or not, you just do it anyway. Why did I do it? Because Ajahn Brahm told me to, uh, and it's not in my control <laughs> to uh, decide whether or not. Because uh, the process of Dhamma is much stronger than your own desires. And uh, not everything you do comes from desire or wanting anyway, so study Pali just because not really something you want or desire hope that makes some sense i often get this kind of uh, cheeky questions but <laughs> it just uh, yeah just from a sense of intellect in a sense so thank you Wendy Sunil I would like to remind everyone that Ajahnman's 70th birthday is coming up in six days so please check out the website Brown's seven tf.org and then also you can check out the global meta meditation retreat um, online that is starting today 
And also we have a Monday guided meditation tomorrow night at 7.30 p.m., ah, am I right? True. That's true, yeah. So the global meta meditation for that person who is tr trying to uh, fall asleep and I said try meta meditation, well, there you go. Follow the global meta thing and uh, you'll get plenty of instructions, I'm pretty sure, on uh, that. And then I'll see you, yeah, tomorrow. Uh, do some meditation as well. Thank you, Venerable. Thank you, Chinta.